0: Today we're starting a new series in the Gospel of John, and I can't promise how long it's going to be because it's a big book, but today is the first one, and today we're going to be looking at what's called the prologue, which is the first 18 verses of the book. And my goal this morning is that we should be impacted by the power and the beauty of the painting of Jesus at the beginning of John will be impacted by the power and the beauty of this painting of Jesus that is at the beginning of John. And if you don't have a handout, then give Vera a wave and she'll make sure that you've got one. To our educated, organized minds in this century... Uh, We want truth to be laid out in seven simple steps. You know, give me uh, a logical system, give it to me all organized, and that's how I want it. Um, But what the Bible often gives us, instead of a series of, of organized steps all in order, it gives us a Michelangelo painting. And we look at this painting and say, huh, I want seven seven simple steps for living my life. And we get this painting. And it's important that we don't get frustrated because it's not organized the way we would like it to be. But instead of that, say, how does God want me to receive this? Because if he's put it in this way, it's in this way for a purpose. It's in this way because there's something I'll get understanding it like this that I won't get if it's just done as seven simple steps. And so we should listen to God on his own terms and not the terms that we would like him to speak to us in. And so today, what I have is three things. I explain what we're doing, which I'm doing right now. I'm going to work through the passage verse by verse, and then I'd like to ask how we should respond to it. As people have looked at the Gospel of John, they realize that some things are very, very simple, very clear, but there are profound depths. One person said, and I I don't know who said it, but they, 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 they wrote, the Gospel of John is like a pool, shallow enough around the edge for a child to play, but so deep that no diver can reach the bottom. I love that. Shallow enough around the edge. You know, you can read John 3.16. You can get saved. Uh, and it's, anyone can understand it. But there's such depths in there that even 2,000 years later, the greatest minds have not plumbed the depth of everything that is there. Um, nowadays, when people write a book, writing is so easy. You can get your word processor. You can sit down and in a week, you've got a novel written. You know, it's so easy. In ancient times, partly it was a lot more work physically writing, but the attitude to writing was one where you're crafting something that is such effort put into getting it really right. And John, as far as we know, only wrote two books in his life and three letters. He may have written some, some other things we don't know, but he spent decades before he wrote the Gospel of John. Can you imagine him saying, you know, one day I'm going to write the story of Jesus, the one I love. And he's thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And he's got decades to ponder this and and like, what's this going to be? And so when it eventually comes out, this masterpiece that he's written, this is the work of his lifetime. The work of a lifetime of someone who passionately loves Jesus. Um... In, as I said, in, in modern times, the way we perceive truth is you lay the truth out in a logical way. But in in Greece, in Greek, the word truth and the word beauty are the same word, aletheia. It's the same word for truth and for beauty. To say something is truth and to say something is beauty is the same thing. Because in their minds, if it's truth, well, why not make it beautiful? And if it's beautiful, it needs to convey truth. And so... What we see then in the structure, in the handout you've got, is John doing an amazing job of turning some statements of truth into something of exquisite beauty, where he's weaving strands together in such an amazing way that we are only just beginning to understand all of the strands, the threads that he's got. And I can't begin to unpack everything today that's in what he's written, but we need to see what's there on his terms. It's a thing of beauty, a thing that he's written and given to us. Um, so let's start to read then. And I'm going to begin right at the start. And so you, I'm going to suggest you look at the copy in front of you rather than at the screen because um, uh, sometimes the writing may be a bit too small on the screen. And uh, also, you know, feel free to write on it to, to make notes as you're going through. So I'm going to go through in order now, and we we'll make some comments about how this uh, can relate to us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In He was in the beginning with God. Now, Word is the wor- word used here. The Word is the word Logos. It's a Greek word Logos, and it was a term that was used in philosophy at the time to mean um uh it was a term that meant like universal truth something like that and what john is doing he's taking a word that they used in philosophy and he's saying i'm going to tell you what the real logos is Le- never mind what your ideas of it is this is the real the real word the real word of god i'm going to tell you what what is true logos and underlying this word the word logos which means word underlying that is god speaking you know, in the Old Testament, God spoke and the, the universe came into existence. God, God spoke and people's lives were changed. And this principle of uh, truth that God speaks, and he's saying, John is saying, yeah, this is actually Jesus. Uh, when God was speaking and bringing creation to being, actually, it was Jesus who was there doing it. God spoke through Jesus. And actually we're going to see that the word, of course, somebody's word is what they declare. And actually, Jesus is the declaration of, of God. So we, there are three members of the Trinity. There's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And they have different roles. And the role of Jesus is to declare to everyone what Jesus is like. So we know about, sorry, what God is like. We know what God is like through Jesus. And so he reveals God's love. He reveals God's, power in creation. He reveals everything about God. And so the word then declares God. So it begins by saying the word was with God and the word was God. Now, I once had a, an argument with the Jehovah's Witness because in their Bible, it says the word was a God. And the uh, I want to tell you there is no way that you can translate the Greek that way. I've got, I've studied Greek for four years. I, I can tell you um, that is not possible because in Greek, if you wanted to say the word was a god, there is a way of doing it. If you wanted to say the word was divine, there was a way of doing it. The way it's written there is very specific. Jesus was God. It's, it, there's no other way of translating it. And so he comes right out then at the beginning of this saying Jesus was God. But you also notice that this this first verse is a little bit like the first verse of the Bible. You know, in the beginning, God created in heaven and the earth. And so it's like he's stating in the beginning, Jesus was there. This is the beginning of everything. And what we're going to have in this prologue is a, 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 a painting of Jesus, starting out with the Father, coming down in the middle of the painting to earth, and then returning to the Father. And what he's done, and we don't have time to go into this, he's woven keywords and expressions all the way through this that link to the whole of the gospel. So every little section that you've got in there, the different colored section, you can find a reference to that somewhere else in John's gospel. And he's tied the whole of his gospel together into this like a poem at the beginning, which crystallizes it all in this format. So this is where it starts then, with God in the beginning. Let's look then at verse 3. Verse 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made and so this is um, a statement of creation. I really covered that earlier this, but this is this is a statement about how all of the things that we have I- around us are made through Jesus, because all of them speak to us about god um, so in, in, in my sideline there under B, it says the old creation was through Jesus. And we're going to see how this compares later on, how he develops this idea. But he's starting off then with God at the beginning and then God making all things. Now let's look, look at um, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not mastered it. What we have here then is the life of Jesus through creation, through all that he's done, shining in this world. Now, let me give you some examples. If you go out on a, star, on a dark night and you're away from the city, there's no lights to disturb you and it's a star, cloudless night, you'll see this incredible swathe of stars across the sky. Just incredible. And it's shouting at you that there is a God. And he's a God of power and beauty. It's shouting at you. And you actually have to, if you're, you're an atheist, you actually have to resist that and, and try and tell yourself, no, no, this just happened by chance because there is something that's powerful there. When you look at the wonders of creation, you look at these extraordinary of stories of, of, of animals that rely on one another and insects and the way the whole thing comes together. Wow, God's creative power is so amazing. Like It's shouting, this is a light that's coming into you. When you look at humanity and the, just the amazing way that God has made people and what people are capable of, the extraordinary creation that a human being is, it's a sign, it's the light that's coming, that Jesus has created. But you know what? People do not receive this. People do not get hold of this. They do not grasp it. The word here um, has not mastered it. Uh, it can be taken two ways. It's like they can't grasp hold of it and really get it, but also they can't like get rid of it. They can't push it away, and 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 they don't know what to do with this light that's coming. But the world is pervaded by the light that Jesus has, and it always has been a light that came in from creation. So you can see the steps of this following. First of all, uh, creation, um, sorry, before creation in verses 1 and 2. He's right at the beginning, before creation. Then verse 3, creation. And then 4 and 5, we have humanity receiving this light and, for the most part, rejecting it. What happens then is that God... Uh, raises up a nation, the nation of Israel. And through the nation of Israel, there are prophets. There's the Old Testament is written. And that culminates in who Jesus said, the greatest of the prophets. The greatest of the Old Testament prophets is John the Baptist. And he is in the line you know, of, of Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and so on. And finally, John the Baptist. But even the greatest of these prophets says, um, I'm not the one. There is more. There is more than this. And so it says there was a man sent from from God whose name was John he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him he was not the light but came to bear witness about the light and so the story is unfolding We're now getting up to the present when John the Baptist has come, but something new is going to happen. He's not the light. Even though he's sent from God, something new is going to be happening. And then we have verse 9. The story culminates in the light coming to earth. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming to earth. The true light which enlightens everyone, was coming to earth. And so here's the climax. Jesus himself is born, and he's actually come into the world. So then we have, uh, how did that play out when Jesus came into the world? He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And so when he came, instead of being welcomed with open arms, This world who was made by him didn't accept him, rejected him. The world didn't know him. And so this humanity created by Jesus actually rejected the one who created him. And then we have verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And of course, this is particularly the Jewish nation, although many, many Jews did receive Jesus. Um, yet the nation as a whole rejected Jesus. The leaders rejected Jesus. Now, we got to the middle there. We've got to the, that red section, uh, verse 11. And what we see happens now is very common in, in ancient writing. And the technical word for it is an inverse parallel or a chiasm. And what that means is you, you go back through the steps, unfolding them all the way back to the beginning. But what you do is, in this way that they they would write this, not just in biblical writing, but in, in in poetry, in all kinds of writing at that time, they would do this, the new truth would be made evident right in the middle. Something new, and then everything after that point would be different because of the new truth. So, can you tell me what the new truth that's introduced in verses 11 and 12 that changes everything? That's that's right? Uh, they became children of God. This is the new thing. So now there are people who do receive him, they do receive him, and these are the people who believe on his name, and they become the children of God. So what changed here is not receiving him, not believing, to believing. So um, faith, our unbelief has changed to faith, and coming out of that faith is actually... What turns out to be the new creation. And we'll see this in just a minute. I'm going to take a step aside now and tell you there are two themes in the Gospel of John that we're going to see woven through right from beginning to end. And the two themes are this. The first of them is Jesus is from above. And this world has got no hope unless something comes from outside of it. (laughs) into this world that is different, that's a different kind of life, that's an eternal life. And when this life comes in, from above, that changes everything. And there's a from-aboveness. So if you look through John's Gospel, there's two kinds of things in John's Gospel. There's the things of this earth, and there's a from-aboveness, or things that have been touched from above. And those things are the things that are new, that are life that are going to come for eternity. So this idea of something in coming into this world from above and that changing everything is what one of the two themes. The other theme that pervades John is the idea of what does it mean that somebody should believe? How, why do some people believe? Why do some people believe and some people don't believe? What's this whole belief thing about? And right the way through, John is giving us stories of people believing and asking us, challenging us to think, why did that person believe? What's going on? And um, and then halfway through, he tells us that these things are written so that we may believe and have life. And so the the theme then about belief and unbelief is right there in the middle of this of this uh, prologue, right in the middle. This is what makes the difference. It's belief, but belief is intertwined with being born from above. So the life of God actually comes into you. This is quite extraordinary that God's life should come into us. Now, of course, Adam and Eve were born of God in, in some kind of way. They were created from by him and his children. But this is the new kind of being born of God. This is something where you're actually, the divine life comes into you. Not that you become God, but something in you is immortal. Something in you is actually the life of God in you. God's life in you, and that is a life that's not of this world. It's of the new world. And so, here then we have in the middle with G, received and uh and not received and then received. One interesting thing is that there are seven sections through, from one through to ten, A through to G. John loves sevens. All the way through, there are lots of sevens. We're going to see this going through. Because seven is the number of perfection. Seven is the number of completion. And there are lots of sevens in John. So we don't surprise to see them here. So let's work our way back outwards then. Um, Verse 12 then is the mirror to verse 11. Verse 11 is, the, is what goes wrong. Verse 12 is what goes right. Then verse 13 describes these people, these people uh, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. It wasn't a choice of, of a woman or a man that they would be born, but it's God who's made this choice. In other words... They are not, it's not a human birth. It's not a human birth. It's not, it's not the world that was made through him up here. The world that was made through him is this physical world around us, but something new here has come in. Being born of God is the life, the spiritual life of God coming into us. And so this is the new creation. Verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of of grace and truth, who came from the Father. Um, So let's look at the parallel. This is E2. Let's look back at E. E says, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. And you can see now this E2 is expanding on that. It says this this true light coming to the world is, is the word, this eternal word, this logos, has actually become a human, dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. It's full of grace and truth who, of the one who came from the Father. And uh, he describes him as the one and only. Now, um, that's translated in the old King James as the only begotten. Um, The the problem with translating only begotten is it suggests that maybe he's born, like physically born, at some point in time, and the 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 word actually's got no connotation that that Jesus was ever born. You know, he's from eternity, and so I prefer to translate translate it the one and only because the the word really is about uniqueness. There is no other like him. He is the one and only. He is the unique one, and it's gonna we're gonna pick up that word again. At the end, and say he is the unique one in relationship to the God, the Trinity, so here it says he came from the Father, and of course that 's echoing what what goes on here was coming into the world he 's coming into the world, came from the Father, verse fifteen, and here we have the matching one for John back in verse uh, six. we have John the Baptist, and here we have um, John the Baptist, but here it's in retrospect. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was him, he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So once again, the greatest of the old pointing towards the new. Then we have verse 16. From his fullness, we all have received grace upon grace. This corresponds with C. Not receiving. Light shined, but the light was not received by men. And now we have the light is received. Grace upon grace. Verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So this is a great comparison because it's saying in the old. And he's lumping Moses in with the old creation. It's the old covenant. It's the old testament. That was all about the law. But in the new creation, this new thing that Jesus has brought, he's brought grace and truth. And so if the old creation was governed by law, the new creation is governed by grace. And then we have the end. No one has ever seen God, the one and only himself God, who is in closest fellowship with the Father, has made God known. So Jesus is the the one and only, the unique one, um, himself God, closest fellowship with the Father, has made God known. So this corresponds to an almost identical statement at the beginning, except at the beginning it just describes Jesus as being God, being with God, being from eternity. But now it says this is the Jesus who's made God known, who's revealed God, who's told us about God. So this is the this is the story that he gives us at the beginning. This is the... Beautiful painting that he's given us of what Jesus has done, summarizing the book and intricately weaving these themes together. Okay. So what I'd like to do then is to, uh, to, um, ask how we should respond to this. Um, so I'd like to summarize. Actually, let me, let me, uh, let me go back to this one here, the themes in John. Um, So, Jesus is from above, and if we are to be part of what Jesus is doing, we must have some of that from aboveness in us. So, uh, the present world is on its way out. The present world is like a condemned building that's going to be demolished. Um, and the only, the only thing that's going to survive is what is, is the stuff of eternity. This, the, what we have through being born of God. Um, I, I've got a video that I want to show you. Um, uh, a, a few years ago, I was walking from my, down, from my house down the street through Regent's Park, an area which they're demolishing and rebuilding. And I happened to have a video camera with me. And, uh, I saw the most incredible sight of a building being demolished. And, uh, I just want to share some little bits of this with you. There's, there's no, there's no real sound to go with it, but, um, uh, it's quite So these are all, they've taken the side off and you can't really see the, the colors there but each of, the, each of those rooms is a different color so it looks like a kind of painting of, of different colors but here is this building that right in front of my eyes I saw them demolishing I'm just going to step ahead I'm going to step ahead a little bit more So here's this thing that looks like a dinosaur's mouth that's coming in. It's just chomping at the building and pulling pieces off it. It's like it's eating the building. (laughs) There we go. So right in front of my eyes, I'm, I just wanted to show you that clip. Um, this, this is what this world is like. This is this world. And the real challenge for us, I think, is how we see ourselves. Do you, is this what you're invested in right now? Is this where your life is invested in this? Because this is on its way out. Like, it's going. Uh, uh, if I'd stayed longer, I would have seen the whole thing brought down. This is where this life is. And what John is saying is there's two kinds of realities here. There's the old creation, which you know Jesus made, and it's from the beginning. And But the old creation is, is on its way out, it's going, and you need to be part of what is new. And you receive what is new by being born of God, the life of God coming into you, which you have by believing Jesus. And this is the core of John's message, that you need to receive this life of God that comes from him and then you will be part of what he's doing. You'll be part of the new. So let's just go back to my notes here. So the life of God's come down to earth so we can partake in the divine. This life is received by faith, believing in Jesus and the question then is how this happened. How do we receive this faith? So uh, I, I think that um, there are two ways that we respond, and I'm going to wrap up here. There are two ways that we respond to this message at the beginning of John. Uh, the first way is Jesus came that we could be born of God. We need to grasp the difference between the old and the new from what is below and what is from above and live with a focus on the new, not the old. Does that make sense? You need to have spiritual eyes that look around you and say, this is part of the old. This is going. This is part of what God is doing. This is part of the new. This is where I need to be investing my time, investing myself. The second part, the second thing that I want to respond to, which for me is, is so powerful and it impacts me so deeply, is when I think of Jesus, who's mine. He's my friend. And he's God. And he's from eternity. And yet he came for me. He came because he loves me. And this is so personal. How pre, think of how precious Jesus is to you. He's come From the Father's side to you, so that you may have life. He's come all that way, so you can experience the divine life. And what impacts me most of all about this prologue, when I look at it, is this personal reflection. This is just not an abstract thing about some person. This is my Jesus This is my Jesus at the beginning. This is my Jesus at the end. He's with the Father. He's in glory. He's immensely powerful. There's no limit to his power. And he's rejected. People don't accept him. They But then he decides he's going to give me his life. He gives me faith. He puts his life in me. And now... I'm going to be with him forever. He's back with the father's side now. And that's where I'm going to go. And this is the story of my Jesus, not an abstract thing. And so when I read this, I am so excited because I see myself in here. What would I be if he hadn't loved me? I'd be lost. I'd be like that demolished building. I'd be one of those who rejected him, but he loves me. And he's suffered so much because I am precious to him. And when he was in glory and he saw humanity and he came in love so that people like me, who don't deserve anything, could receive that. And that's where it said, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I want to challenge you. If you are not a Christian this morning, You're like somebody in that building. How long are you going to live in that building that's being demolished? You need to find better accommodation. Let me tell you right now, you need to be checking out somewhere better to live. And it's Jesus who provides that. He is the only one who can take us through that demolition into eternity. And so I want us to respond to this, not on an intellectual level, although that's important, but on a personal level. This is my Jesus. He is so high. There is no being that's higher than Jesus Christ. And yet he's mine. He's mine. He said, I will love you forever. I will never abandon you. He says, nothing can separate you from the love that I have for you. It's a love that will never let us go. Isn't that incredible? This just moves me so much to see my Jesus here in this piece that that I have him and he has me because I'm part of this new thing that he's doing. So I'm just going to pray and uh, ask the worship team to come up and uh, lead us in a closing song. Jesus, we thank you that you saw us in our darkness and you came and you brought your love, even though it cost you so much, so that we could have you, that we could have you in our hearts, that we could actually be joined to you, that your life would be in us. We will be joined to you forever. Lord, thank you that nothing will separate us from you, that you will never abandon us, that we will never be destroyed because we will be with you in eternity, with you, with the Father, with the Spirit forever. Lord, we thank you for this story that is the best story. Lord, help us to grasp this story and to live out of this story in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.